mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fan. Today, Claire and I both have headphones on. It's awesome. And we can hear each other just fine. Uh, So first thing we're going to do is give some uh, Women's World Cup reactions here, some thoughts from early on, right? So I've seen both of the matches um, that we've had so far. And uh, more specifically, I'll probably talk about, I don't know, just kind of just talk about my, I guess, unexperienced (laughs) opinion about the game uh, from last night of the match. So um, Claire, go ahead, tell the people, give them the secret that you have. So Sorry, ladies. I have not watched. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, no. I, my problem, I, it's not maybe not a problem. I am much more invested. I'll give you two things I'm much more invested in. Sports that I played, I am much more likely to watch those things on TV. So right. like track, world championships or swimming i'm much more interested in those because i understand what's going on i like soccer but i never played the game of soccer Mm. past the age of five so nice nice like it's not as uh maybe interesting to me as those other sports and number two i i would much rather watch it live in person than on tv i just get distracted so much easier um I guess number three, I just love college sports. That's I love college sports. It's not that nice. I'm professional sports. I just feel like I can get into college sports more because I don't know. I was there I, as an athlete and working with them, and I just I don't know. I I just feel a lot of passion from from them, and I feel like they're I don't know. When you're not getting paid to do something, you're you're. You just have to be super passionate. I guess they have scholarships and stuff like that, but I don't know. I just love college sports. Yeah. Also, I like to bring to the table NIL these days. So they are getting paid to do it now. Um, but I mean, I, I agree with you. In person is a, is a better thing. I feel the same way about baseball. I can't watch baseball unless I'm like in person. Right. Um, and talking about soccer, I only played one year of my life and I was maybe eight, nine, 10 years old or something like that. It's just, it wasn't a sport for me playing wise, but since I've coached it for over 10 years, working with athletes of soccer, I mean, and my wife plays soccer still to this day and she played in college. Like it's just something that I enjoy. I really do like some athletic stuff happening there, but um, yeah. So this is going to be fun just to, you know, kind of talk about it. I was actually pretty surprised um, maybe by how the U S handled the first half. Typically, the Netherlands, whether it's the men's national team or the women's national team, fairly good, right? Pretty good um, countries as it goes to, with soccer. But I was surprised, like, really how the U.S. didn't seem to, like, they came out and they were pressing a lot and the Netherlands was handling it, you know. And then once we got on, uh, once they got into our defensive end, so the scoring end for the Netherlands, like, Man, it was just, it was crazy. Like they were just able to hold possession a lot better. And I think I remember the announcers talking like a lot of that was going through the midfield where 
uh, the Netherlands was just able to control the ball a little bit more. And, and gosh, they were great in midfield uh, early in that first half, right? Obviously, they got that goal, um, kind of a cheap goal, uh, in my opinion. This like, there's a bunch of like, I don't know, standing around. But then you watch the uh, the replay and it's like, how did the, if someone wouldn't have lifted their leg, you know, like maybe they would have had a contact on the ball to deflect it, you know, out of there. But anyways, but then second half, man, the U.S., like, in my opinion, owned that, right? It was getting kind of later. So I will admit that I didn't watch anything past like the 82nd minute. Uh, but everything that I saw up to that point in the second half was like U.S. opportunity to score, right? And then they had that. They had that Alex Morgan goal that got called back because of offside. Uh, she, she was definitely offside, but um, yeah. So that it's like they almost had all the opportunities where they were about to score every every yeah. single time. So it seems like they really turned around. The halftime speech must have been incredible uh, mm-hmm. by the head coach. The other head coach was actually born in Yugoslavia. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. I looked him up last night because I wanted to learn a little bit about him, you know, and he became a U.S. national, I think, in 2005, I think, is when he became a citizen. Um, So anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm excited about um, excited about the next match against uh, Portugal. I think it's early in the morning, though. From what I remember, it's like at 1 a.m. Eastern time. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so I mean that's going to be uh, interesting for all the fans. I've <laughs> um, replays. It is well. Good luck to them. I did come across this article, which I thought was interesting um, because I, I think there there is a little bit more media coverage coming out around nutrition and particular sports like there are sometimes like during the super bowl sometimes team dietitians are highlighted or um and i don't love this but sometimes if a particular athlete has like their own dietitian or nutritionist or whatever sometimes they'll you know have an article about that and talk about it which good or bad sometimes it's nice to have the coverage on that just to to bring more awareness of it being an important piece of an athlete's performance and and life um but it was just an article kind of talking about it's titled uh, How Food Can Be the U.S. Um, Women's National Team's Secret Sauce at the World Cup. So, um, Question just, from the, the group here. Yeah. Do you think they use the word sauce because it relates to food instead of them using secret weapon? Uh, yes, that is probably exactly why they use that word. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so just talking about um, the staff, they've got, you know, a decent amount of staff dedicated to prepping meals, feeding the players. They they have a dietitian, um, Lindsay Langford, who is their um, team dietitian, which um, is great. I, I think soccer is one of the sports um, from, an, from a professional standpoint that is definitely getting more into hiring on dietitians. Um, per per team, but also obviously the national team has one. Um, so it was just talking about kind of what that schedule looks like, how Lindsay is working with the players to implement nutrition that one, they'll both enjoy, um, but two, that they'll also benefit from, from a recovery standpoint, um, talking about how the offerings will look different on like a game day versus a day after game. 
um, and how they incorporate some of the players' wish lists. And um, since they're there for mm-hmm. such an amount of time, they they'll kind of have like a, a meal where the players get to pick or a certain player picks and gets input and stuff like that. So I just thought it was interesting, and uh, I think it brings good awareness around what the role of a dietitian is um, and then separates that from like the chef and and then some of the other culinary experts that are on that team feeding, feeding the national team. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of cool that they, um, you know, uh, cater, if you will, to some of their like wishes and requests. And mm-hmm. I wonder how they do that stuff on the road, you know, if they're in a, say they're in a country that has just different stuff, right? That yeah. how they, how they work with those uh, types of new things. Um, I, I obviously didn't do it when we were in a different country, but um, it's sometimes difficult. I mean, even going from different States, um, you know, like when I was doing a lot of catering stuff for teams on the road, sometimes they would be in the middle of nowhere and Alabama, mm-hmm. and there's like two restaurants and, they're not ideal choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you gone and, and maybe say like, where are you staying? Do you have a kitchen? Here's a grocery store. Can you pick up like pre-made stuff from this place versus going to this restaurant? So um, there's a lot of st- strategic planning. Um, they did, they did kind of mention it in the article. My computer froze, but from what I remember, they were talking about um, typically they'll try and like source local ingredients uh, mm-hmm. because they have chefs on staff that are cooking and stuff for them. So they obviously work closely with the dietitian to be able to curate meals that are going to, to work best with what the team needs and what the dietitian is asking for. Whereas, you know, when you're on the road and, and most of what you, you have a dietitian and your athletes and your coach, and you don't really have a, you don't have a chef, you have to make it work and figure it out. Yeah. Perspective. But I think a lot of times, and and I think it obviously in this day and age, it's probably a little bit easier on the road because there's more similar things um, accessible. But I think for the most part, if they are traveling with a chef, you know, they can have pretty similar, similar foods. Uh, maybe yeah. just type is a little bit different, but they're, they're probably having an easier time than in collegiate athletics. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would agree too. I mean, I was thinking when when you were talking about some experience that you've had with teams on the road. Obviously, you've worked at Florida State, so that's you know up there, Power Five. And so, I was thinking about places they might go. I mean, you said Alabama, and then I was thinking Tuscaloosa, right? So, like, that's a big college town now. So they probably have a lot more things than mm-hmm. like I don't know. Like, so I'm working at D two level, right? They may go to a, a town that doesn't have a ton of stuff. And I just, um, I guess jokingly, I was thinking, yeah, I wonder how hard it is to find vegetables in some of these southeastern cities where they have small, like D2 schools, you know? Yeah, I did a menu for a Florida State softball team when I was an intern and they were not going to Tuscaloosa. They were literally in the middle of nowhere, like doing kind of like a tour in Alabama. Yeah. And I think yeah. at one point maybe they were in Tuscaloosa or whatever, but in between, it was like there were not a lot of options. And so I had to get super creative. Yeah. I mean, our softball team, when I was working at CSUN, they went to play a tournament out in Cathedral City, if you know where that is, uh, in California. It's like, um, it's out towards, what is it called? 29 Palms or um, Indio, you know, out in that area, way out in the desert, right? Like going out um, towards Arizona. 
And I've been to that town, right? Like I've been in that area. It's like uh, mountains are on the outskirts, desert town, windmills that are catching all the the, uh, the wind energy in there. It, it's a crazy, like spread out, like I don't even know where stuff is type of place. So yeah, like even you're right. Sometimes even D1 um, teams, they're going to places that are just uh, as Anthony Bourdain would, would uh, his show would be called parts unknown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it just depends, but um it sounds like they have a a good team of experts and, you know, professionals navigating those waters for the athletes so they don't have to worry. Yep. And another thing, I mean, like I hate to stay on this topic and kind of get a little lost in it a little bit, but another thing I think that's just interesting for me to think about is in America, right? We have our set we we have our style of diet, right? And we have the way that we would pre- prepare certain foods in order to, you know, um, elicit performance responses. But I wonder how that differs from the Japanese team, right? Like, is their national team um, fueling their performance needs that's more closely related to their style of, um, I don't know, cultural eating? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I don't, when you look at it, like the needs, the needs of the athletes are going to be the same, right? So you're still going to have that need for X amount of carbohydrates and X amount of protein. Like you still, the composition of it is still going to be the same, but what they're choosing to fill those is going to look different depending on where you go. I mean, even that, that was a hard part sometimes too, even about collegiate athletics, because if you're, I mean, in our program at Florida State, there were international students. There's international students that in a lot of programs. So um, sometimes it's hard to cater to everybody when mm-hmm. a lot of different, um, you know, cultural preferences with food happening. So, you know, we would try, I would try to be mindful of that and incorporate different things that people were requesting. I know, um, they do it now. We did it a little bit, but you know, even at the dining hall, trying to have like a a country themed dinner or breakfast or whatever, and having that those athletes input, um, and then also opening the eyes and palates of you know the American <laughs> student yeah. um to those things. But I would I would I would say it probably looks it does look a lot different because the way that they're used to eating on a day to day basis is very different. You don't mm-hmm. want to change that but the needs of you know the macronutrient their macronutrient micronutrient needs their needs are going to look the same they're just filling those roles or filling those you know demands a little bit differently i would assume yeah yeah i mean i i agree with you i bet the the i guess the caloric needs and like the way you're structuring as far as how many how much carbohydrates protein fats and stuff they need is all the same like yeah i just think it's interesting to think of like what they would actually put on the plate, you know, it's just going to look different. And then to think about right now, they're in Australia and New Zealand, like how they would start to incorporate their cultural, like food styles with what they have available to them at that, at that, those places, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot of what's that spread in the Australia? Oh, Vegemite. Yeah. Probably a lot of Vegemite. Yeah. Maybe. I don't even know. Like it's most people don't like it. I've heard um, Oh, you've never had it though. I didn't know. It's good. Um, traditionally, it's like on 
on toast with butter. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I think it's okay. I got exposed to it. This is going way off topic, but (laughs) I got exposed to that actually when I was in elementary, I was in like this um, accelerated uh, program, you know, because you had really good grades and you got to go off and do a tour. So we went to this convention center and they had tastes and like cultural um, exposures, right. To different countries. And so, yeah, Vegemite was one of the things at the Australian table that we had. Yeah. How cool. Well, that was in uh, an ESPN article. So. Okay. We can link it in the show notes. Um, But yeah, just thought it was interesting. Don't be like me and not watch the world cup. So (laughs) moving on uh, what we mainly wanted to talk about today was wearables. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Accuracy purpose what type, um, just, just everything about them. Um, I know I have an article and, and kind of some things I want to talk about, but, um, overall, what are your thoughts on, on wearables and are they for, for athletes, maybe general pop, are they worth the hype? Which ones are best for who? What do you think? Uh, I think they can be useful for both populations. I think it just depends. Well, depends on what you want to use it for. And obviously your technology um, is going to look different, right? If you're playing a professional sport, you're not just going to have an Apple watch, like maybe general population might have. Um, Right now I have a Garmin watch, uh, Garmin instinct. All right. Thanks. Thanks Garmin sponsor the show. Um, But uh, yeah, so professional soccer teams, I know in, um, English Premier League, I think Stat Sports is really popular. I think Catapult's pretty popular over there. Um, same here with like a lot of the college programs. Catapult's pretty popular uh, to use for GPS monitoring and things like that. Um, strangely enough, at North Georgia, before I was there, they used Polar, which is more of a heart rate. Um, they got more heart rate readings than they did GPS stuff. We used to use but, um you used to use Polar? Yeah, for cross country. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So you're familiar with that, right? Yeah. Um, We're in. I think, gotcha. Gotcha. I, I think they're great uh, to use, right? I, I think anytime you can get some objective measures um, to go along with your coaching eye, then you should you should implement those, right? If, if it's in your budget and if it's within your wheelhouse to understand and interpret, you should do it. Uh, I had the opportunity to use some GPS stuff when I was at CSUN and uh, we used it for soccer programs for both of them. Um, we used a catapult system. They bought out this company, but the other company's name was still on the stuff. So um, yeah, it was just GPS stuff. I mean, obviously looking at total load, it's good to um, look at how much distance people are covering. Right. Uh, but also very important to know, um, how much distance they're covering at high velocities, right? That's going to have the most wear and tear on your body there. Um, I think it's great to know how fast people are decelerating, um, maybe how many times they're actually having moments of um, G-force or like an inertial uh, force there. So I think those things are, are really important to look at if you're um, monitoring from the GPS standpoint. I think from the heart rate, uh, it's good to see how much time people are spending in certain heart rate zones um, mm-hmm. as they're traveling. Um, 
I think another interesting thing with heart rate is the how fast recovery is happening, right? right. So how quickly are they they going in and out, almost like HRV, right? So uh, heart rate variability, it's like how much time do you have in between those really high spikes that you would see on the uh, EKG? So um, obviously the longer, the better, right? I mean, when you're at rest, that's the, the longer, the better. That means you're quote unquote more fit. Um, when you have those longer, um, longer times in between, uh, Q, right. That's the letter Q. Um, yeah. So I, I think those things are good to look at, right. HRV, um, any type of like sprint metrics with distance you can see, or the heart rate zones. Um, those are all good to know. And funny enough, talking with a coach today about using polar for his team, not soccer, uh, it was with tennis, was that they used the the strength coach was like, hey, you got to use this, got to use this. And finally, he was like, all right, all right, we'll use it. So they used it for the fall. And the strength coach was telling them that they needed to be within a certain number range for load, right? Um, I think the number was like, thousand to twelve hundred let's just say right for the sake of argument and then come to find out they wore them in the spring when they had a match right tennis match and those guys were taking loads at like 1700 right during the match so obviously if they were trying to stay within a thousand to twelve hundred they were not prepared for what those matches were going to be so again that's why i think maybe they're they're going to be really nice to have the data um, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're for acute use, right? I think, I don't think you can just wear them every once in a while. I think you need to establish this baseline, right? Be a little more patient in taking in your knowledge and interpreting it and then making the proper adjustments, uh, once you know what those, uh, loads or capacity requirements are going to be for the actual sport when they play it. Right. So it's, it's good to have really high intensity practices when you're using them, if you're in the off season and then, you know, doing your best to make the adjustments to prepare your athletes for the workload that they may take on, whether that's time in a certain heart rate zone or ability to recover from a heart rate zone, uh, for, or from being up in the, the highest heart rate, or if that's to, uh, match, uh, sprints per mile type of uh, or top speeds and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think they're really great to use. And uh, if you've got the money for them and you've got maybe more importantly than the money is if you have someone on staff or you yourself can interpret that data in an actionable way, right? If you just have the, the data, what, what are you wasting your money? Like, what are you doing? You need to be able to maybe learn more about how to use it on the front end, talk to somebody else who's had experience with it before, and then, you know, use it the best way for your team. Right. Well, that's, I was going to follow up question with that. In your opinion, in your opinion, from like a data management perspective, obviously as a strength coach, that information is important to you. How do you, or I guess in your opinion, how do you kind of differentiate the data that you need to know and interpret and maybe what the athletes should know and maybe not worry so much about because some of these watches and wearables are giving you so much information. And I think some of these athletes and even coaches can get bogged down by like VO2 max and or estimated VO2 max and like all this stuff that they don't really even know a ton about and then kind of like get into the weeds with all of that stuff. So 
what is important for the athletes and maybe coaches to know and just be aware of? And then what are maybe the important data points for you as a strength coach? Uh, I think athletes a lot of time get hung up on like, does this number, do, do these numbers say that I'm good or bad? Right. Like what do they say about me when, Interesting. Uh, I mean, th- th- this is, these are actually things, right. Where people get caught up on numbers or mm-hmm. athletes get caught up on numbers and it like almost defeats the purpose because it makes them feel like they're not as good anymore because they maybe had an off day or someone else had a better number than them or something like that. So I think it's important to manage what numbers go out to athletes or really solidify the education that's given on the front end to athletes. And then I think if you're, let's say you're a sport coach that has a strength conditioning practitioner on staff, that's going to run this stuff. I think it's important for the the professional, the strength conditioning professional to ask the coach, not based on GPS data, like, what do you want? What do you want to see? Or like, what do you want to know from this project? Right. And they'll probably give you an answer that relates to more to them than it does to the actual technology you're using. And then it's on you to kind of quote unquote, translate what they want into what you're seeing off of there and then make the adjustments in your training. Um, that's what I, I think maybe for those people in general. And then from a strength coach perspective, you got to understand like what you're doing on the front end, right? Like I've had, I've had a little bit of experience with it, but not like a lot of the sports scientists that are out there, you know, they've got really in-depth information on how, how they use this stuff and, um, how they can make adjustments like right off the bat. Like, I think for me to get back, to go back to another GPS model, I would probably have to talk to people I know, uh, learn a little bit more about it. Um, I guess if we're using a different product than I haven't used before, and then, you know, just continue to work through it uh, again. It's not like a, an acute thing. It's for the long run. And it's to make sure that we're making the appropriate adjustments and, and showing progress or, or maintaining a certain standard and figuring out what, what does that standard mean mm-hmm. in the system versus like what your, your coach is asking or, or what you want to see um, as a professional. So uh, I don't know if that answered your question very well. Maybe at the beginning I did, but. <laughs> no, I think, it, I think it did for sure. Um, I, And I agree. I, and the reason I asked that is because obviously a lot of, not a lot of that doesn't apply, but some of it doesn't necessarily directly apply to nutrition, but the one measurement that would is energy expenditure that, yes, yeah, that, and, and some of, some of the other stuff does too, like load or heart rate and stuff like that. Obviously that's stuff that could pertain to recovery. But when, when we're looking at energy expenditure on these wearables, um, it's not very accurate. And I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes, not all of them, but but a lot can get really hung up on those numbers and be like, well, I burn this amount of calories, so I need to eat this amount of calories. I can't go over, can't go. Over. And it becomes this like number to go off of, but it's just, that's not the case. I kind of relate it to like that energy expenditure calculation is on par with the nutrition 
calculator, like calorie needs calculators from Google, right? Like it doesn't take into account a ton of information when you think about what what those wearables are using to get that information or from a BMR perspective, it's probably the same equation that those calculators are using. And then it probably takes into account the amount of calories, uh, calories that you burn in the activity. So um, it's probably not that accurate. And I do have a study to to show that. Did you want to say something before I do that? Yeah. Before you get in there, funny that you say that because I was about to bring this up at, as like a segue, but no way. And uh it's yeah it was great but it's great though uh so quickly the the same coach that i was talking to today about the the polar that his team used um he mentioned that um some of the athletes most of the things they wanted to know after a session how many calories did i burn yeah and like it was it was a validation for them to have that they worked hard well, no, it was a validation for them. It was like, okay, I, I worked really hard or I burned this many calories. I can have this dessert. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's so terrible. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought it up. But yeah, tell us about the study. Um, yeah. So this is a study out of Stanford University, um, I think from 2017. It's called Accuracy and Wrist Worn Sensor Based Measurements of Heart Rate an energy expenditure in a diverse cohort. So they looked at, I'm trying to see how many devices it was. Um, well, it's in Stanford. So Apple's got to be one of them. Has yeah, to be. Apple was one. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So they looked at seven devices, one of which was an Apple watch. Um, okay. Do you have the other six? Yeah, I can list them off. Um, yeah, let's go. Apple watch, basis peak, Fitbit Surge, Microsoft Band, Mio Alpha 2, Pulse On, and Samsung Gear S2. Sorry, Garmin. Yeah, no Garmin. They made the cut. Yeah, although I think, um, not I think, but I'm t- I was surprised to not see Garmin and Polar on there. Um, yeah. I would think that they're pretty similar, but. Regardless, um, it was very interesting just to see the results of the energy expenditure. So um, I'm just going to jump to this. So basically, they were looking at the error in estimation. So they Mm -hmm. used um, indirect calorimetry to measure energy expenditure in these um, participants. And for the people listening that don't know, that's a pretty accurate measurement of energy expenditure. Um, I'm trying to look at, probably should have highlighted the things that I wanted to say. Um, and then what else did they do? Um, so they did it in different activities. So they looked at walking, cycling, just sitting, um, and then they looked at the differences in error between males and females, age, weight, height, all that stuff. Um, so they did indirect calorimetry while they were sitting, walking, running, and cycling. So they looked at it in all of those different um, activities. And so what they found was that from an energy expenditure perspective, um, the 
error in estimation of energy expenditure was considerably higher than for heart rate, which makes sense because heart rate is probably easier to measure. Um, but the median error rates, what do you what what would your guess be of like the median percent error? Um I'll give you gosh. heart rate, it was like five percent or less. Which- uh I'm gonna say I'm gonna say twenty percent. Okay. The median was twenty seven point four percent error. Okay, well, that's a lot. For the Fitbit surge, guess how much it was? Uh thirty-two. It was the highest. Ninety-two point six percent. Whoa, that error. Oh my gosh. Um, the lowest relative error rates across devices were achieved for walking and running, and the highest on sitting. So walking and running, it was somewhere between thirty-one point eight and thirty-one percent, and sitting it was about 52.4%. That's half. <laughs> That's yeah. So Yeah, I know. If people are going off of, and it doesn't say like plus or minus, um, but just a percent error. So I'll use the example. I would say it's probably underestimating for the activity um, in these elite athletes, I would guess, that that we work with. Um, And in my experience with what some of these athletes were coming to me with, with what their watch said they needed from or burned from a calorie perspective. Uh, Sometimes they'd wear their Apple watch or I've seen on Apple watches where it's like you work out for two hours, um, you know, you're walking to class, whatever, maybe you get like 10,000, 12,000 steps a day. And it was like energy expenditure, um, like the whole day calories burned. It's like, your your total energy needs are like 1800 and i'm like there's literally no way there's no way i don't do that now and i need more than that so i just think that's important to bring up is like if you're somebody that goes off of your watch for any calorie calculation whatsoever whether it's calories burned calories needed to be eaten bmr any of that stuff it's not accurate like at all like the lowest error rate was 27.4%. It's not accurate. So I I would just caution people to not go off of that and that be like the end all be all for for that stuff. And then kind of what you were mentioning before, the error rate is so high that if you're you have to look at your watch, this is probably a whole other discussion, but if you have to look at your watch and say, I burn this amount of calories. It's okay to eat a cookie now. Something's wrong. We we need to reevaluate why we're making that judgment, whether you're an elite athlete or not. Like we need to, obviously there's some psychological stuff there in that relationship with food isn't ideal. Um, But if we're just relying on all these external factors to, to make decisions for you, that's wild. Like, are you hungry or are you not hungry? If you eat something and it's not a cookie, are you going to be hungry later or want that and not be satisfied and eat a whole bag of cookies later? Like, you know, we have to we have to just kind of get out of that. Like, I need this external validation from a number to say I can do something versus making decisions and using your critical thinking skills. So I just thought it was yeah. important to bring that up from if we're talking about uh, about wearables, because 
they can be really helpful and provide a lot of useful information, but they're not foolproof and they're not perfect. Um, so I just think that's important for athletes and just people to know in general. Yeah, I agree. What didn't you say like the largest error was while sitting in that study? Yeah, the yeah. the, the mo the majority of the errors um were were sitting. So it was like yeah. fifty or something percent. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that makes sense to me because you're you're burning a lot more calories by your body just functioning in that state than it's ever going to be able to track with your heart rate, right? So you're only they're only getting those measurements from your your heart rate, right? From calories burned, and there's so much more happening. Like you said, it's an underestimation. Whether it's um, sitting, walking, running, cycling, it's it's an underestimation based on you know conversation things that you've brought up in this podcast before uh, of just so many other functions happening um, in your body just to maintain its uh, state of being alive. Um, that, that you're burning those calories. <laughs> What'd you say? Then how does a watch measure your liver function or how much energy yeah. are you doing that? The other question I had is for these companies is if we're basing a lot of that off heart rate, what heart rates are you using? Like what are you, what numbers are, are you using a range? And if so, what range? Because again, if there's a if you have a super duper fit person using your watch, their heart rate and heart rate variability and and what that looks like is going to be very very different from somebody that's untrained. Yeah, you're right, Claire. You would know about that because you're a fit girl. I'm a fit girl, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't let her watch dictate her life? That's right. I used to. I I don't think I ever went off the calories on that, but I used to be like. I have to wear my watch so it gets all my steps and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, you don't need the watch. You don't, I never wear, I'll wear it sometimes if I go to the gym, just because if I don't, I get distracted and I'll be there for two hours and I, I'll be late for everything if I do that. Um, <laughs> seriously, but I don't wear it during the day anymore because it's like, I, if I know that I need to get up and move, I'll do it. And I'm aware of that. I don't need a watch beeping at me and saying, it's time to move, stand up, go, go, go. You know, yeah. that, that causes a lot more anxiousness for people than just kind of having this innate, like, wow, I've been sitting for a while. My legs kind of hurt. I'm kind of restless. I'm bored. Whatever the case might be, let me go for like a 15, 20 minute walk, you know? So I, like I said, I think that they can be very useful if they're, if they have an intent and a purpose and you're getting something tangible out of it. But if you're just wearing it to wear it, because if you don't wear it, you're anxious and you're like, well, it didn't count if I don't wear my watch, then then maybe you don't need it. Maybe we should do some exposure therapy and not wear the watch. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree because I've had the experience where I'm wearing like a Fitbit or something and uh, I have been working for like five hours on my feet, like coaching groups, you know, and then all of a sudden I sit down for 10 minutes at the computer to like program and check emails. And then it's like, get moving. You know, I was like, Hey, I've been moving I'm for like fine. four hours now. Yeah. Like I'm okay right now. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. It did that a lot when I was in collegiate athletics and I'd be like pushing coolers and dumping ice trays and like making smoothies and doing like literally running around like a chicken without a head. And it was like, 
you haven't hit your stand goal for the day. You're way behind on your steps. And I'm like, what do you, what? No, there's no, no, I just think it's just, it's crazy sometimes. Although I will say on the Apple watches, sometimes the take a second to take some deep breaths that has, that is helpful. I I like that feature because (laughs) I think a lot of people need that and they don't have the innate ability or awareness to stop and be like, let me regulate my nervous system and calm down for a second. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Don't forget to breathe, people. Don't forget to breathe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my my spiel on wearables. Yeah. So sum it all up. Wearables are, are great. They can give you some good information, uh, but it's it's great to understand what you want out of that information and understand how to interpret and make the best adjustments after you get that information. Don't be tied to wearables. You know, um, they're, they're a good tool to have. Sometimes you can't have them and that's okay. There are other ways that you can manage um, understanding how your body's working mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, last thing to uh, sum up there is make sure you watch women's world cup. Yeah. Go USA. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, let us know your thoughts, you know, um, shoot us an email or something, you know, comment on YouTube below this video. Yeah. yeah if you're watching on YouTube, leave us a comment. Watches. <laughs> yeah. Find us at the website, acesnation.org and yeah. look us up in the team tab. Or if you're listening to this, if you could leave a review, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, and that way we can give you more content that you want to hear instead of making all of it what we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. We'd love to talk about what you want to hear about. So let us know, um, you know, your thoughts and, and what you might want us to talk about. Yeah. Um, so shout out to our listeners in Africa and Italy, in London and the Birmingham area of England. Um, yeah, even in... Uh, I think we got some Norway, some Wow. Thanks. We got some Scandinavian countries listening. So shout out to our international listeners. Yeah. yeah. They're probably watching the World Cup. They are. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people in the US watching it too. But all right, everyone. We will catch you on the next one. See ya.